Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you've freely given to us, Lord. As we reach out to you, Lord, uh, we thank you that you are with us. Um, Lord, we pray and agree together uh, for protection from uh, this uh, uh, destructive weather. We know that these things are a part of the curse and that you've redeemed us from the curse and have placed the blessing of Abraham upon us, and that includes protection. And so, Father, we believe we're protected, and I appreciate all my brothers and sisters around the world that will be watching this, agreeing together with us and for this uh, family of faith. And, Lord, as we look into your word tonight, I thank you that you're going to help us connect with some things and, and embrace some things and receive some things, Lord, that are going to help us. And uh, we believe you, Father, for life and peace now because to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so as we've already mentioned, this is discipleship class number 26, just a real quick uh, review uh, and update as to where we are. We've been answering a very important question, uh, what is man? We've had classes uh, on what the Bible teaches, that man is a God-class being. We've also learned that man is a spirit being. We've learned that man is a legal authority on earth, and that man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. Now, when we say created in the image and likeness of God, what we, of course, mean by that is that you know, we not only look like God looks, but we were created to function the way He functions. And there are certain characteristics that we possess as human beings um, because of our being created like God and in His image uh, that exist nowhere else uh, in creation, or at least to the level or the, to the degree that they exist uh, in us. And so we've spent a good, bit of, a good bit of time in these, and part of this is part of the reason we've spent so much time here is because these are really practical things. Um, I often say when it comes to the things of God, the Word of God, that the difference is in the doing. The difference is in the doing. And so these, these are things that kind of on the cutting edge of our lives where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, uh, as far as the doing is, um, is concerned. So let's, uh, let's review a couple of those right quick and we'll bring us up to speed to where we are. Um, we've said because we are created in the image and likeness of God, um, we have the ability to think, reason, and form uh, opinions. Um, my, uh, I guess folks from Heritage, let me come back over the screen before we go any further. I guess different folks from Heritage are maybe seeing this and realizing that I'm on live at a time that I'm not normally on live at, so I'm getting text messages popping up here on my computer screens. Are we canceling service tonight? So the answer is yes. There will be no 7 o'clock service tonight at Heritage. I have not... Um, uh, you know, tried to um, make all those phone calls and notifications yet, po postings yet, but, uh, but yes, um, there, that is correct. There will be uh, no 7 p.m. in-person or online service at Heritage tonight. So anyway, let's get back to our uh, review. Um, we are, uh, praise God, because we are being created in the image and likeness of God, we have the ability to think, reason, and form opinions. We have the ability to agree. We have the ability to believe. We have the ability to experience and express emotions, and we have the ability to speak. Now, on the, on the surface, and we made mention of this when we introduced this section, we said that, you know, don't underestimate, you know, the power of um, these five things. Uh, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Um, if you agree concerning anything uh, on earth, it'll be done by your Father in heaven for you. All things are possible to him who believes. So do, do you see the, the tremendous uh, power that's released in these different characteristics and abilities? And we've also learned throughout the course of our study 
that um, your ability to think, reason, and form opinions can work for you or can work against you. You can agree with God, and I recommend that you agree with Him and agree with Him quickly, but you can also agree with God's enemy and your enemy and, and the things that He's saying and the lies that He's trying to tell you. You can, you can believe what God says, or you, you can believe man's wisdom. You can believe your life experience. You can believe what your own behavior um, may be trying to tell you uh, about yourself. So all of these characteristics uh, can work for you in very powerful, uh, beneficial ways, or they can also work uh, against you uh, to create a lot of negative and miserable things in your life as well. Um, experience and express emotions. Uh, remember, we have the ability uh, to experience and express, not just experience emotions, experience them and express them, because the God that we were created in, in the image and likeness of has the ability to experience and express emotions. And then that fifth one is the one that we, we were on last week, um, our ability to speak. And um, we've already covered a lot of ground on that, and so I'm not going to try to go back and review that. Um, but, you know, the, the framework and the, and, the, and the groundwork, the foundation, I, I guess I should say, that we laid last week is something that we're going to build upon now. So let me remind you, and, and this is one of many really important verses that we looked at last week. Um, it's out of Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So, as, you've been, as you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Last week we took the time to go into the, to the Scriptures, uh, primarily in Romans chapter 10, um, where we learned how we received uh, Christ Jesus the Lord, and we received Him by believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. Believing in the heart, confessing with the mouth. And so he's saying that as we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, that, that we also need to walk in Him uh, in, in that same way. So, you know, I feel so compelled to review so many of the things that we talked about last week. Let me just remind you again, death and life is in the power of your tongue. Death and life hinges or turns upon the power of what you say, the words that come out of your mouth. And we're going to look at some other verses that confirm that uh, alongside, you know, the ones that we've already covered in, um, in last week's uh, class. But what I want to focus on tonight, um, and I say tonight, this morning, I, I'm so used to saying tonight, I've done these classes for 17 years and we've always done them late evening or you know, early evening, so uh, forgive me for saying tonight. But um, what I want us to focus on now is a practical application of these truths to see something changed in our lives. Remember, Jesus told us when we have mountains in our pathway, obstacles that are preventing us from doing what he called us to do and from living the quality of life that he created us to live, that we need to speak to those mountains. We need to speak to those mountains. Last week we said a true sign of growth and development in our lives is when we stop telling God about our problems and we start telling our problems what God has said about them. When we start saying directly to the mountain what God has already taught us and instructed us to say to the mountain, right? He said, the word of faith that we speak does not say, Jesus, come down here and fix this for me, nor does it say, uh, you know, come back from, you know, the dead uh, and, and fix this for me. But it's the word of God in our mouth, nigh unto us, even in our mouth, that we speak directly to 
the problems and the obstacles and the challenges and the difficulties. Remember, God sent his word and healed people, physically healed them. And so the word of God spoken out of your mouth can bring healing both to your body and to the bodies of other people. Now, I'm going to go ahead and when I say warn you, I don't, that, that's probably, uh, you know, sends a wrong signal. I don't mean warn you like this is dangerous, okay? But I want to inform you. I want to make you aware that as we go into some of these things tonight, that we're going to be going into some advanced level truth uh, and some advanced level application. I told you when we began these classes now, what, this is class number 26, so 25 classes ago, that um, these classes were designed, among other things, to, to stretch us. Um, I just recently finished a book that uh, dealt with the brain and, and your neuroscience and neurology. And, and I'll be honest with you, somewhere between a, f a fourth to a third of that book was over my head. Uh, in other words, no pun intended, uh, it, it, it was some really uh, scientific stuff that um, I don't fully grasp or understand. But um, I also, in the process, was stretched. I learned a lot of things and understood a lot of things that I didn't previously under understand before I, I read that book. And so some of the things that we talk about tonight uh, may seem to be over your head. They're not over your head. They, 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 it's who you are. Amen. You just may not have heard these things or may not have heard them the way that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal them to us tonight. So I, I just want to you know, let you know that before we begin. Um, and we're ultimately going to focus in a pretty in-depth way on, on how to produce positive results in our lives by using what we believe in our heart and what we speak out of our mouths. Let me just, in way of introducing this, let me put Romans 8 and 31 up on the screen here. Um, it begins, and this is one of my favorite portions of, of Scripture, and I've got lots of favorite portions, but it begins here, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And, of course, if you're familiar with these verses, you know that what's going to go on from here, things like, If God spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In, in other words, he's going to go into some of the most uplifting, encouraging, faith-filled, um, you know, power words that we could ever speak out of our mouths uh, concerning our lives and concerning situations and circumstances that, that we may face and deal with. But I want to, I again, bring it back. I'll put it back up on the screen. Verse 31 begins by saying, What then shall we say to these things? And these things are referring to challenges and difficulties and issues and problems and troubles and tests and trials. And, and you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, obviously by the Holy Spirit, you know, he's the one who penned uh, these words. And, and this was a man who had faced so many different challenges and difficulties um, in, in hazarding his very physical life um, to preach the gospel places that had never been preached uh, before. Uh, but the key thing I want you to focus on tonight, to focus on now, as <laughs> focus on now, focus on now, focus on now, uh, is, is what then shall we say to these things? Because something has to be said. I want, I want that to really sink deep into your understanding now. Um, it, something has to be said. And, and we, this may seem, initially this may seem foreign to us, 
but we say something about everything that we experience in life. It's just sometimes we don't realize, you know, what we're saying. We're not aware of uh, the, the words that are coming out of our mouths in response to challenges and difficulties and troubles and, and, and what have you that we may be facing. And so what Paul is talking about here is a deliberate, intentional response. One of the things that I learned from Brother Kenneth Copeland is that the prophet's job is to give the people something to say. And, and so, for instance, here at Heritage Christian Center, one of the things that we say that's ingrained into our, our culture here is the expression, good things coming. And that is based upon a scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, where the Bible says Jesus is now our high priest. He's seated in heaven, and he is the high priest of good things to come. And so it has to do with a forward-looking, a confident expectation that no matter what we may face in the future, what challenges may lay ahead of us, that not only are good things in our future, but, but God's best is in our future. Our best days are, are ahead of us. And so people who, who are a part of this family of faith here, the church that I pastor, Heritage Christian Center, um, we say that. We say that all the time. Um, I finish a lot of text messages and emails with you know, my salutation, you know, good things uh, uh, coming. Um, at a ripe old age of 100 plus years, should I go by way of the grave, um, then I would, I would like good things coming on my tombstone one day. Praise God. Um, no time soon, amen, but <laughs> hallelujah. So it's something that we say. It's something that we say. So the question is, what then shall we say to these things? In a broader sense, how are we going to respond to, 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 to the things that we face? Because how we respond is the, you know, to situations that we face is the difference between victory and defeat. How we respond can literally be, because death and life turns on the power of your tongue, how you respond in certain situations can be the difference between living and dying. Uh, and so there has to be a response, and the response uh, involves many times more than words, but it needs to begin with words. Uh, we, what we say out of our mouth sets in motion the, the order of events that are going to follow. And so if we respond with fear and doubt and unbelief, stress and anxiety, uh, you know, those emotions influencing the words that we say, then uh, those words are going to chart a course for us in a direction uh, away from victory and more towards defeat. Um, let me remind you again of a verse that we spent uh, quite a bit of time unpacking in, in earlier classes, and it's Isaiah 51 and 16. God speaking here to you and me. He says, I have put my words in your mouth. I've covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. So notice this is... Uh, we looked last week in, in, uh, in Romans 10 at the New Testament version of this where he talks about the word of God is near unto you. It's, it's even in your mouth. And so Father God wants his words to be in your mouth. He wants you to speak his words. His words are living and powerful. His words are the conduit, the, the mighty word of his power. His words are the pipeline that bring and interject his power into the situations and circumstances of, of our lives. So your enemy is trying to manipulate you by manipulating your thoughts, your emotions, and then the words, the choices, the response, our actions, deeds, um, in, in, a, in a way that uh, would cause us to speak doubt and negativity and unbelief instead of faith and the Word of God and truth in the situations and things that we 
experience. Now, um, let's go to the book of James, James chapter 3, and I'm going to uh, <clears throat> begin here in just a moment, and I'll put them on uh, the graphic on the overlay on the screen um, in, in verse number 2, James chapter 3 and verse number 2. But before I do that, I want to give you just a little background uh, on the book of James itself. If, if you've read the New Testament, study the New Testament, you know that the book of James uh, reads somewhat different from the other uh, letters, the other epistles, uh, books uh, written in forms of letters in the New Testament. Not that it's wrong or different or, or, or somehow controversial. It's, it's not at all. Um, but it, let me see if I can make this example. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four beautiful, different, uh, first-hand accounts of Jesus' life and ministry and teachings. But John uh, reads more different from the other three. And that's because John was closer to Jesus um, than, uh, the, than the other disciples. Um, and James now uh, is, um, I don't know if different is the right word. Um, it's just we, the insight, like for instance, in, in the Gospel of John, in, 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 you know, we, we find things that we don't find in the other Gospels, and, and thankfully so. And so, same is true in, in James. If we, we find connections, that's thank you, Holy Spirit. We find connections in the book of James that we don't necessarily find in, uh, in other uh, epistles. And so, thank, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the book of James. Now, James is a common name in our day, and it was a common name in, in Jesus' day in, in, in Bible times. Um, and so, just to clarify, uh, this is not James, the brother of John. This is James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus. Now, this provides a unique uh, perspective in and of itself because James, when I say brother of Jesus, let me clarify, half-brother of Jesus. Uh, James and Jesus shared the same mother. Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, was also Mary, the mother of James. Uh, the key difference here is <laughs> uh, the Holy Spirit fathered um, Jesus in Mary's womb, Joseph, Mary's uh, husband, fathered uh, James and Jesus' other brothers and sisters uh, in Mary's womb. So James would be, and I don't like using the expression, but to be clear, James was the half-brother of Jesus, which means he would have been raised up together in the household with Jesus. And the unique thing, too, that you need to understand about James is James did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God until after Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And so James became a powerful apostle, uh, preaching and, and teaching. And so now we have um, this uh, letter to us uh, from him, uh, or from the Holy Spirit via uh, the apostle James. Now, what we find in James, and hopefully this will encourage you, if you haven't studied, read it in a while, don't do it now, please, <laughs> but at a later date, um, what we find in, in the book of James is some of the more practical instruction and application um, uh, in, in the Word of God, uh, especially you know, in, the, in the New Testament. And it was James who emphasized the things that Jesus introduced to us and taught us about being a doer of the Word. And so he had much to say about that, and much to say about the importance of our works as an extension of, as an expression of our faith, you know, works reflecting faith as opposed to a substitute for our faith. And so there's a lot of those things that, that James, by the Holy Spirit, weighed in on 
that provides such importance, that provides such understanding uh, for us. But what I want us to look at tonight is, is what the Holy Spirit taught us through the Apostle James concerning the words that we speak. And so that's where we'll pick it up in James chapter 3 and um, in verse number, uh, number 2. Praise God. James chapter 3 and verse number 2. It says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Remember, perfect means complete. He is a complete man, able also to bridle the whole body. So perfect means complete, uh, not without, you know, as long as we have a physical body, we're going to struggle with, um, you know, various weaknesses of, of the flesh and, and that sort of thing. So it doesn't mean a man who never does any single thing wrong, um, but a complete man, a mature man might be another way of, of, of understanding this. But I also want you to pay close attention, though, to that last phrase. Um, if he doesn't stumble in word, he's able to bridle the whole body. He's able to bridle the whole body. So let's talk about this for a minute because um, self-control is an issue for all of us. Um, being able to you know, resist the urges and temptations of our flesh and, and not give into those things. So being able to control what comes out of your mouth is uh, vitally important to self-control. He says that if we can tame or control or bridle the tongue, then we can tame, control, bridle the whole body. So we stumble in many things, he says. But if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a mature man, a complete man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, he's going to give us some uh, very uh, powerful illustrations of this. Remember, he's going to talk about horses and rudders and things of this nature, but he's ultimately trying, the Holy Spirit's trying to help us better understand the power of our own tongue, the power of our own words. So he says, verse 3, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. So if you're not sure what a bit is, it's something that goes in the mouth of a horse, and the reins of the horse are attached to either side of that bit, and the rider of the horse then, if he wants the horse to turn right, he applies a little bit of pressure to the right side of that bit, and as that pressure is applied, let me, uh, let me come back over here. Um, I'll kind of act it out. As, as that pressure is applied to, to that side of the horse's mouth, then the horse turns. And, and as the head turns, the whole body of, of the horse uh, will turn. Same is true on the left side. If you want the horse to stop, pull back on it, right? And as that pressure is applied like that, well, you know, then the horse tries to keep that pressure because it's, 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 your mouth is sensitive. Amen. The horse... The horse's mouth is sensitive, and so he starts trying to stop to keep that pressure from being applied to his mouth. So key things as we keep moving forward, um, bit in the horse's mouth that it may obey us and turn the whole body. It, do, it, it, it applies pressure, turns the head, the head, and turn, turns the whole body. All right, so we'll come back uh, across. Verse number four, he says, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by force, uh, by force, driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small 
rudder wherever the pilot desires. Now, amen. I'm just going to walk you through this, okay? Because to me, the revelation and understanding here um, is, is so important. Uh, some of the points that we made and, and are and built upon last week, um, you know, so much of your life reality is determined by the words that come out of your mouth. And when we talk about you know, room for improvement, areas that we can focus on um, that will make the biggest difference in our lives, um, the words that you speak is one of those huge, I mean, I, again, words fail me to express to you how, how important this is. And the devil's hoping you never understand this. Um, the devil's hoping you just keep on shooting yourself in the foot with the words that, that come out of your mouth, that you keep on, you know, saying things and, and uh, uh, you know, that are, are counterproductive to, to what you want to experience in life. Remember, what comes out of your mouth is going to be on a plate for you to eat tomorrow. And so the devil wants you just to keep on eating crow, so to speak, and, and never enjoy and experience the life that God created you to live. And so what are we going to say to these things? That, we, we can't change the course of our lives without changing what's determining the course of our lives. And what you're going to see here is that the words that are coming out of your mouth, it's what's determining the course of your life. So we've looked at um, the bit in the horse's mouth. Now we come to um, the rudder of a ship. The rudder of a ship. So there is obviously a comparison being made here. So as we think through these things, what does the rudder of a ship have to do with the bit in the mouth of a horse? And what does the rudder of a ship and the bit in the mouth of a horse have to do with the tongue that speaks words that's in your mouth and in my mouth? So let me, let me we're going to answer that question. Let me give you verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. So now we have three comparisons. Three comparisons, okay? Let me come back to you, praise God. So the three comparisons, what are those? Um, the last one that he introduced um, was how great... Uh, a forest, a little fire kindles. So he's talking about how um, you know someone can uh, just be careless with with a cigarette, or can be can be careless by not completely extinguishing their campfire, and just a spark. Uh, I don't recall. You know they named these fires out west because you know forest fires and wildfires are such a problem out there. But there, there was a, um, a very, very large, you know, one of those, like, square miles burned. And it was someone in an RV that was dragging a chain, and they didn't know the chain had, had, had broken, felt fallen loose. Um, and they were dragging it, and that chain was hitting the pavement and rocks, and it was sparking, and literally... Uh, just that much of a of of a of a fire that that small amount of a fire was burning down hundreds of acres eventually 
um, of, of beautiful you know, forest land. And so he's saying that the tongue is like that. Um, you know, we, we can, you know, say just a few words that can set the world on fire. Um, that's the, the power uh, of the tongue. So I wanted to cover that last one, how great a forest a little fire kindles, because that's another example. But let's, let's, go, let's go back, um, <clears throat> praise God, to uh, the first two. What does the, your tongue, the words that you speak, the rudder on a ship, and the bit in the mouth of a horse, what do these things have in common? And there's, there's more here maybe than you've initially thought. Um, the first thing that we see is that the bit is very small compared to the size of the horse. And the rudder is very small compared to the size of the ship. And our tongue is very small compared to not just the size of our body, but to the size of the life, our life, uh, that it influences. Um, let's, let's look at another one. The, the tongue is to the bit in the horse's mouth and to the rudder on the bottom of a great ship, okay? Um, it's a comparison that he's making. Uh, and so we see that the bit, small in comparison to the size of the horse, but the bit is what directs um, the, the course. It, 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 it influences the direction that the horse goes. Same is true with the rudder. The rudder is to the ship what the bit in the horse's mouth is to the horse because the rudder, very small compared to the size of the ship, but it too determines and changes the course of the ship. Very small in comparison to the size of the ship, very small in comparison to the size of the horse, very small in comparison to the size of the body and the life that the body is living. Yet the tongue determines the course of the life in the same way the bit determines the course the horse takes in the same way the rudder determines the course that the ship takes, okay? And if you notice, um, let me put the, the screen back here, uh, the, the verse back. So let's go back to verse 4. Look at ships. He's, when he says look at it, he's saying consider it, think about it. Although they're so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, but it doesn't end there, wherever the pilot desires. Wherever the pilot desires. So the, the idea that he's trying to show us here although he doesn't point it out um, with the horse, but there's a rider on the horse that's, that's pulling the reins in the same way that there's a, a captain of the boat that's turning the wheel. But when the captain turns the wheel, it ultimately turns the rudder. And when the rudder turns, that's when the ship turns. That's when the boat turns. So if we have the rider on the horse and the captain on the ship, who has their hand on the rudder or the bit that is your life, your tongue? That's you and me. That's you and me. Um, what we say, we decide. Who decides what you say? It may seem like, you know, in the heat of the moment, especially when emotions are involved, like we talked about last week, that, you know, we just can't help ourselves. We can. 
we, we can stop. We don't have to say things that, that, that we say and, and, and negative things and hurtful things and harmful things. But wherever the pilot desires, wherever the, the, the horseman, the, the rider on the horse desires, wherever you desire, wherever I desire, um, we can, our life can go wherever we want it to go if we know how to say the words that will get us there. If we know how to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth the words that will get us um, where it is that we want to go. All right? Now, thank you, Holy Spirit. I, I was going to, um, yes, let's come back, okay? Let me come back on screen before we look. There's a few more verses here that I, that I want us to look at. Um, but here, here is one more, um, one more thing that they all three have in common. The bit, the rudder, and our tongue. When the, um, when the rider turns the horse, uh, when the rider turns the horse, he, he does it by, by pulling. And remember we said a moment ago that that puts pressure on the side of the horse's mouth. Pressure. Remember that. Pressure. When the captain of the boat turns the boat, the boat, <clears throat> when the captain turns the wheel of the boat, the rudder underneath the boat turns. Okay? Now, if you can picture this, and I'm trying to illustrate it with my hand up in, in, the, in the air, when the, the boat is you know, sailing through the water and the rudder is in alignment with, in other words, equal amounts of water are going down both sides of the rudder, and, and so the boat is headed in, in, a, in a direction. So now the captain wants to turn the boat. He turns the boat by turning the rudder, well, now, when that rudder underneath the boat turns, the water that was, that was flowing down both sides of it equally, um, now notice what's happened. Um, now the water's hitting this, and, um, and, and there's, we've created an imbalance here. Uh, there's a change in the flow. And so now, tremendous amount of pressure is being applied to this side of the rudder. And so as long as it's this way, the water's flowing over it equally, and, and there's, you know, the only pressure is that little bit of the tip, you know, where, the, where it's cutting through the water. But now when the, when the rudder turns, now the water is pushing against. And as, as that, remember I said, remember pressure. Now, so notice pressure is being applied to the rudder because there, it's wanting to balance back out so that, that the new course will have the equal amounts of water. So we were going this way, okay. Now we turn the rudder. Um, when the boat turns, then... Equal amounts of water will be flowing like this, but the boat will be heading that direction instead of straight into the camera at you. Um, hopefully I made that clear and didn't, you know, murk it up by, by trying to use the, the, my hand as a, as a rudder um, and, and show you how the water flows over it. Uh, but here is the bottom line. Um, both involve pressure in changing the course. Both involve pressure changing the course. Pressure on the bit changes the course of the horse. Um, pressure on the rudder changes the course of the ship. So when we talk about our tongue as a rudder, our tongue as a bit changing the course of our lives, we're going to have to 
uh, not only say the right things out of our mouths to the things that we're facing, what should we say to these things? You can't just say it once, okay? So let me act it out. What happens if the, the rider pulls on the rein and then lets right back off? Well, the horse would just do his head to the side and keep going in the same direction that he was going in originally. What happens if the captain turns the wheel? Now, obviously, modern-day vessels are different from the ones that were, were in the past, but you know, that's why if you've seen the, the, the classic, um, you know, iconic uh, captain's wheel, now it's a joystick on these great cruise ships and stuff, because uh, all done you know, with, with uh, motors and impellers and all that stuff, but praise God. Uh, but in those, in those old ships, those, those handles on the captain's wheel, uh, it, it required, pre you know, sometimes it would take two or three men um, because they're driven by, you know, fierce winds to, you know, bear down on that wheel to turn that rudder because there's so much pressure being applied. And then you even see that they would take a rope once they get the wheel and the rudder set in the, in the direction that they want the ship to go, then they would take a rope and tie it off to hold that position. Because if the captain turns the wheel and then lets off the wheel, the rudder, because pressure is being applied to it, will just snap right back into alignment with, with, with the original course. So this is something so very, very important um, for us to understand when it comes to you know, again, practical, advanced truth tonight, helping you use the words of your mouth, using your emotions and, and, and your thinking and your agreements and your, and your belief, you know, your faith, uh, to make positive, measurable, tangible, verifiable differences in your life. But so, this, so again, in the same way that if the captain just turns the rudder and lets off, it's, it hasn't changed anything. Or let me say it for you and me, if we say something positive once and then go right back to what we were saying before, that's not going to be enough pressure to change the course. Um, because remember, the course is set by what we've been saying. And so if we, only, if we only confess, my children are taught of the Lord and great is the peace of my children once and call them, you know, uh, rug rats and, and, uh, and heathens and all this other stuff, you know, negative things that people say over their children, God help them. Um, well, that's not going to be enough to change the course. So you have to say it and keep saying it. Uh, you have to apply the pressure and realize that, that you know, we're talking about changing uh, courses of things in our lives that, you know, have been established <laughs> and, 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 and long entrenched. Um, and so you have to apply the pressure to change the course. You have to apply the pressure to change the course. You have to apply the pressure to change the course and keep applying the pressure. Uh, consistently uh, doing what it is that the Word of God instructs us to do. All right, let's go back over. I hope you're getting something out of this. I hope you're taking a lot of notes. I hope you're, you know, you're, you're grabbing hold of this. Um, you know, I've heard people say, I am my own worst enemy. Um, and, um, you know, I, I certainly believe, and it's verified by Scripture, the greatest threat to your future success is not the devil. It's, 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 it's you. It's your flesh. Um, and, and then as that pertains to, you know, the words that come uh, out of our mouths and what we say. Uh, so I've heard people say, I'm my own worst enemy. And I even heard one man say, not only am I, am I, am I my own worst enemy, that um, it's, it's been right under my nose the whole time, one inch under my nose, uh, his mouth and what he says. So I'm, listen, before we go any further, I'm just going to challenge you uh, think about what you're thinking about. 
Think about what you've been saying. Um, we, we throw death around in our world today, um, you know, coming out of our mouths. Think about it for, for a moment. You're killing me. Um, scared me to death. That chocolate pie is to die for. Um, you, you, you see what I'm saying? So, well, oh, Pastor Mark, that's just an expression. No, death and life's in the power of your tongue. And the devil, whether you realize that or not, the devil is wanting to trick you into um, you know, speaking death and saying that. Think about it for a moment. Why, why do we not um, put other things in those same kinds of expressions? Um, it, 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 uh, it, oh, praise God. It floored me. You know, somebody that's floored is somebody that has hit the floor. Um, uh, blew my mind. That blew my mind. That drives me crazy. Again, I'm just trying to show you what the, the enemy wants you to confess craziness over yourself. The enemy wants you to say things drive you crazy because the enemy wants to drive you crazy. The enemy wants you to be mentally diseased and impaired and out of your mind. Are you hearing me? And, and we don't even realize that, that we're saying these kinds of things. Somebody asked you, how, 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 you how's, how are things today? You doing okay? Good morning. Everything okay? How many times have I heard people say, I'm trying to catch a cold. Think about it. I'm trying to catch a cold. Now you say, you know, what do we mean by that? We, we, what we're trying, what we are meaning to say to somebody is, I'm, I've, I've, uh, I woke up this morning and uh, I'm experiencing some of the early symptoms of a cold. Um, uh, my throat, maybe your throat's a little scratchy, nose a little runny, whatever, okay. Um, but that's what, that's what we are communicating by that, but we don't realize what it is that we're saying and the power of our words. So I'm trying to catch a cold. No, see, that, I'm not trying to get, do you want to catch a cold? I mean, is that really what you're trying to do? No, it's not what we're trying to do. Now you say, Pastor Mark, I, you're, you're making a big deal out of this. I'm going to show it to you if I have time in this class. I'm going to show it to you. If I'm making a big deal out of this, you need to take it up with Jesus because he said in the judgment, you and I will give an account for every idle word. Every idle word. What's an idle word? If a car's an idle, it's running, but it's really not going anywhere. It's kind of a useless, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's an, an idling word. So an idle word is a word that we speak that we don't really mean and not really what, we're, what, what we had in mind to communicate. Um, it's just an idle word. So before you think I'm being a fanatic about this, uh, you need to know um, that the words that you speak chart the course that your life follows. You'll never change the course of your life until you let the Lord help you change the words that come out of your mouth. And the words that we speak are, are important. They're powerful. You're created in the image and likeness of, a, of, of God. And the God that you were created in the image and likeness of created this world by sitting upon His throne and speaking words out of His mouth. And Jesus said that you would speak words out of your mouth that would move mountainous obstacles out of your pathway into the ocean beyond you. Now, he's not exaggerating. God doesn't exaggerate. Exaggeration is a form of lying. God does not lie. Let every man be a liar, but let God be true. So there, and, and let me, while I'm here, and I, 
let me just emphasize, remind you, that the devil doesn't want you to know this. He wants to influence your words. He wants to be um, the, the major contributor to what you think, to how you feel, and to what you say. Because if he can do that, he can manipulate and control um, your life, even the direction and the course of your life, even the length of your life, if you allow him to continue to manipulate you in that way. And I'm talking about a, a born-again, blood-bought child of God, tongue-talking, spirit-filled child of God. Uh, so please embrace that, lay hold of that, and, and, and understand that this is very, very serious. And so the devil doesn't want you to know this. This teaching, this doctrine has been ridiculed. It's, it's, it's been uh, so maligned. And, and in some ways, I guess, understand because there are people who, who just get really odd with it. And, and, and I got that already. Uh, but, you know, there, there are entire books that people have written against this. They, how about, the, you've ever heard the, oh, he's one of those name it and claim it preachers. He's one of those blab it and grab it preachers, right? But remember, Jesus said that, that you can have what you say. You can have what you say. Listen very carefully to me. Jesus said you can have what you say, but here's the problem. Most of his children will not stop saying what they have. All we can talk about is what we have, what we're going through, what we're dealing with, you know, what, what we missed out on, what's happened to us, what's been done to us. Jesus said you can have what you say. Quit saying what you have and start saying what he says belongs to you. Quit whining to God about your problems. Quit telling God what your problems are saying to you and start saying to your problems what God has said to you. The power of your words. Amen. Well, let me get back over here. Praise God. So look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See what a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh wow okay so there's a lot that's covered there I'm, I'm not going to try to take the time to explain every bit of that i do want to remind you here that he says first of all i'll, I'll put it back up in verse six let's do that and the tongue is a world of iniquity i'm sorry and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. All right? Now, if, if you were just to try to process this verse, um, a tongue set on fire by hell. The tongue is a fire. Okay? Your tongue is a fire. So in the same way, 
that a small fire can, you know, annihilate, you know, 100,000 acres of, of beautiful forest, okay? Your tongue is a fire. And so much of, um, let me just say it this way, the overwhelming majority of mankind, their tongues are being influenced and manipulated not by God and His Word and His truth and His wisdom, but by the enemy. That's what it means for the tongue to be set on fire by hell. Set on uh, fire by hell, okay? Now, oh, thank you, Jesus. Let, let's, let me come back to that part. It sets on fire the course of nature. It sets on fire the course of nature. He's not just talking now. He, he just jumped from... Um, you know, Smokey the Bear and, and forest fires uh, to the course of nature itself sets on fire the course of nature. So I mentioned at the beginning of uh, this class, uh, it's, uh, you know, mid-March here in Alabama, and um, so it's what the world calls tornado season, okay? <laughs> and... And so now you've got lots of people speaking, lots of people speaking out of fear, lots of people confessing. See, what folks don't realize is that what's coming out of our mouths is what's setting on fire the course of what's going on in nature around us. In a moment, we're going to look at a, at a, at a verse where the, where the Bible says that all of creation, nature, um, is waiting for the sons of God to take their rightful place, um, to rise up and, and be who God created us to be. Remember, man is legal authority on planet Earth. And so the very ones who are to be binding these things and loosing these things um, are, are contributing uh, to uh, all of these tragedies and natural disasters and things by the words that we speak. Now, some of you, again... Some of you listen to this, you're like, Pastor Mark, you, you can't believe that. That's so, you know, it sounds so strange, so far out. I told you advanced truth. I gave you, uh, you know, time to prepare and brace yourself for it. But it's, 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 it's absolutely the case. It's absolutely um, the truth that, um, that we need to, uh, to understand, right? So let me, um, let's go to 1 Corinthians Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Um, amen. Now, so some may ask, well, Pastor Mark, then, you know, praying and believing, you know, what about, you know, this and that and, and, and what have you? Um, amen. Well, we're learning, we're growing, right? But uh, don't just sit back and, and speak fear and doubt and unbelief. Uh, you know, if, if our earth, you know, um, something happening on the earth, uh, in nature, I guess I should say, uh, is uh, you're in the, in the way of it, you're in the line of it, okay? You, you ever driven through a neighborhood and seen a lot of houses messed up and one house, nothing, nothing touched it? I don't, I don't understand these things. And, and the reality of it is people who've committed their lives to, um, to studying tornadoes and things of that nature, they don't have an answer for that. I believe it has to go to something spiritual. Um, but anyway, en enough of all that. Let, let, me, let me try to refocus us here for a moment, okay? 
Um, we were created by God to work and operate in the particular way that he works and operates. We were created, matter of fact, I'm going to put that on the screen. We were created by God to work and operate in the particular way that he works and operates. How does God work and operate? He works and operates by speaking. Um, he works and operates by speaking. Jesus spoke to the storms. Jesus spoke to the demons. Jesus spoke to fevers. You know, if you think I'm being bizarre tonight, remember, Jesus spoke to a fever. Who knew fevers could listen? Who knew fevers had ears? Okay, Jesus spoke to a fever, and the fever obeyed him. Jesus spoke to bread and commanded it to multiply, and the bread and the fish obeyed him. So when we start you know, looking at these things in, in, in depth, according to the Word of God, we see this is how Jesus operated. Obviously, it's how God operates from heaven, the throne, his throne in heaven, but we also see that this is how Jesus operated and functioned while he was here on, on the earth as a man uh, doing what God had created him and told him to do. Now, we're going to um, change gears here. We stay on the same subject, but um, at first, what the, verse, the verses that I am about to show you are going to seem like we're talking about something new. We're not. Um, but these verses are going to help set the stage. That's just that's a good way of saying it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. These verses are going to help set the stage for where we're headed next. So let's go to First um, Corinthians chapter ten, and we'll begin at verse number one. First Corinthians chapter ten, and um, verse number one. It says this: Moreover, brethren. I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were all passed through the sea. Verse 2, all were baptized in Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Okay, now let's um, let's talk for a moment. Uh, you know, context and and what this is all about. Okay. This this is speaking of when God brought His people out of slavery in Egypt. And when it says that all our fathers were under the cloud, if you remember, they had to cross a desert to get to the promised land. And it gets very hot during the day um, in the desert. And so God became a cloud over them to provide them shelter and shade as they traveled. Something unique about the desert, though, just in the way that it gets very hot at night, it also gets very cold in the daytime. That's why you know stuff doesn't grow there. Um, it's hard for stuff to grow there. And so at night, God then was a pillar of fire. Um, 
So, you know, there's no street lights. They weren't walking on paved roads. They're cutting a path across the desert. And so he, he shaded them by day and he illuminated and warmed them by night. But also we know that the simple instructions were to follow the cloud and to follow the fire. So it was, it was a guidance system, um, if you will. Uh, it, it led them and, and the, the cloud by day and the fire by night was leading them to their promised land or as we could better relate to it, uh, their best life. Uh, your promised land is your best life, living the life that God created and intends for you to live. He also says that they all passed through the sea. Now, this is speaking of when God parted the Red Sea and the nation of Israel went through on dry ground. Again, um, a miracle that marked them. So when it says that they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, this doesn't mean that they got wet, because when we think of, of water baptism, I'm sorry, when we think of baptism, we think water baptism. Water baptism being um, an immersion underwater, coming up out of water, or as you know, some religions you know, practice just sprinkling the water or that sort of thing. I'm not here to get into all that uh, to now, okay, right now. <laughs> today, tonight, or wherever you, whatever time it is when you're watching this, okay? So I'm not going to go into all that now, but, but so when he says baptized, a lot of people think getting wet with water. That's not what he means. Ultimately, he's referring to baptism as something that marks you and identifies you, that marks you and identifies you. And so when those people came through that Red Sea, um, they were forever marked as a generation that God parted the sea for, brought them out of of uh, slavery, uh, and, and so being baptized into Moses. They identified now as followers of Moses, as, as those that God used Moses to deliver and to set free. So it was, it's, he's talking about simply here an experience that marked them. All right. Now, we come to verse 3. Verse 3 and 4 are going to require some consideration, some, some thought and thinking, amen, on, uh, on your part. So let's do it, all right? All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Now, let's read the last part and then we'll comment on those two phrases. Same spiritual food, same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. Okay, now, <clears throat> this just takes a minute, but it's necessary. So let's, let's, let's consider what he's saying here. The food that they ate is called manna. And manna means, you ready for this really deep, theological, incredibly revealing, spiritual Hebrew definition. <laughs> Those of you who know what it means already probably grinning, okay? Manna means, what is this? Okay, what is this? Now, that's telling, though, because if you come across something that you've never seen before and don't know what it is, 
that's when you ask the question, what is this, okay? So um, this was something that they had never seen before. Or I guess more importantly, this was food that they had never um, eaten before. They, they had, had never uh, had this to eat uh, before in their lives. And so what is this? So imagine, you know, you've traveled overseas to a different culture and they put a bowl of food in front of you that you've never seen before. You may be polite, but in your mind you're going, what is this? You know, what, 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 are, what are we eating? So uh, verse 3, the spiritual food is manna and the spiritual drink is water but it's water that flowed from a rock, not from under a rock, not over a rock, but out of a rock, okay? And this was a type and shadow. This was a foreshadowing, or as I like to simplify, you know, type and shadow. It sounds so theological. It's a giant Old Testament index finger pointing to Jesus, okay? He's that away. amen. Because we know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the rock of our salvation and he's also the living water. So, but in their case, it was a real rock. This is not figurative. This, this, is, this is not, um, you know, uh, what's the word? I always get metaphor and simile and all that. This is not metaphorical, okay? There was literally a rock that water flowed from. And you've got to keep in mind now, conservatively, we're talking about a million and a half people. Uh, that came out of uh, slavery in Egypt. Th this isn't just, you know, a few 15 passenger vans full of people. Th this is a lot of people. And so enough food and enough uh, water that God provided in the desert. There's no water in the desert. There's no food in the desert. And by the way, it's, it's, it's also interesting that they could have completed this journey, you know, in, in a week or two at the most. Um, Instead, you know, 40 years later, they're still wandering around the same mountain. Um, and there's a lot of sermons in that that we won't bother with right now, okay? Um, but God loved them and provided for them. Now, here, here's the thing. He calls the food spiritual food. And he calls, calls the drink spiritual drink. But the manna was something that they could go up and pick up. It was on the ground every morning, like frost. It's like, you know, cold morning, you wake up and there's frost on the ground. Uh, in this case, we were in the desert. It wasn't because it was freezing cold and the moisture, you know, had caused that. But what appeared to be frost on the ground was food that they went out and picked up enough for them and for their families um, for that day. And, um, and it nourished them and fed them. And if you recall, God told them to only get what they needed for that day and to trust Him for what they would need the next day. People went and hoarded it, and then it, they woke up the next morning and it, it smelled horrible because it was only good for one day. And what we see, of course, is that God's trying to teach them to trust Him. Um, and so we see it's a beautiful passage uh, Paul quotes it when he talks about giving uh, to the Corinthians that let's say someone went and they tried to get enough for the day but they didn't get enough. The Bible says that it became enough. Or in the case where someone was trying to only get what they needed for a day but, but accidentally got too much. The Bible says 
it became enough. In other words, God was teaching them that, that he was enough for them and, and that they could trust him for what they needed for that day. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, and, and yet we see, sadly, that this was a lesson that the overwhelming majority of them never learned. Um, and they needed to learn to trust God in order to go into their best life. And there's, that's why they died in the wilderness and, and fell short of the glory of God, the highest and best that God had for them. So there's a lot of teaching to do around this, and it, it's, it's, it's challenging for me to talk about it and just stay on point um, because I want to make sure you understand just at least enough of the bigger picture for all of this to make sense to you. But the food was something that they could pick up. It, it wasn't... It didn't exist in the fog bank of their imaginations. In other words, God could have said, um, be filled, and, and just their stomachs never got hungry. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. Um, I believe that the, the, the sandals on their feet grew um, with them. Um, they, never, they didn't need replacement shoes, and they, they walked for 40 years. So again, there's some fascinating things here. So God could have, instead of, you know, He could have done a miracle where they just didn't get hungry and, and their bodies didn't, you know, uh, uh, digest itself into malnutrition. But instead, He chose to put food on the ground for them to go pick up and eat. But here we see in the New Testament that it's called spiritual food and it's called spiritual drink. It was water that quenched their thirst. It was food that satisfied their hunger. But when God identifies it as spiritual, He's saying that it didn't have an earthly origin. It, it, it wasn't something, or somebody didn't have a bunch of manna seed and plant a manna farm and harvest a manna crop and put it in cute little manna baskets and hand it out to the people. It was food that satisfied something physical in them, a physical hunger, a physical need, a physical desire, but it did not have physical origin. It, did, it, didn't, it didn't come uh, through uh, natural means. It came uh, from a supernatural uh, mean, uh, a supernatural way, a supernatural source. This is why the food, uh, it's, the re the, I use this passage when I teach on a few different subjects um, because it's, it's, it's where we can clearly see that you know, something that God is doing that's real in our physical life reality, but it, it didn't come from anything physical around us. It came from a, a heavenly source. It came from a spirit source. Uh, and, and, and so think, think now, it crossed over from the realm of the spirit into the realm of the natural. It, it, it crossed over from, from heaven in, into the earth. Um, and we see you know, other things like, the Bible says if you tithe, that God will open the window of heaven and from His side, He will push through things, you know, through a window from heaven into your world, into, into your life. Something that, that, now listen, understand, every good and perfect gift comes down from God. And I'm not trying to confuse you by saying this, but the reality that I'm ultimately trying to get to uh, today is that inside of you are things that you need on the outside of you. Inside of you are things that you and others could benefit if we could just find a way 
to get the treasure on the inside of us um, on the outside of us. And, and so words are how we do that. Words are the, 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 the means, the, the way, the vehicle um, that we are able to take things that exist in us in, in spiritual form and bring them out into our life reality in a, in, a, in a physical form, in a natural form, in a substantial form um, so that you can benefit and enjoy it and others uh, can uh, around you can benefit. For instance, enjoy it. For instance, there's healing in you. This is why Jesus said uh, about people who believe on Him that you would lay your hands on sick people and sick people would get well. Sick people would recover. It's because we see that, that there's healing in you that needs to come from inside of you, out of you, in, into your life and into the life of other people around you. Um, so praise God. Food that came directly out of heaven to feed them. It satisfied their hunger, but it was not grown, developed, or processed naturally. It was spiritual food, but it had physical substance. It came from God's world into our world. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, and we'll begin at verse 33. Um, a verse of Scripture, uh, I'm really whistling my S's today, I apologize for that. A verse of uh, Scripture um, Holy Spirit just brought to my to my mind. Do you remember when Jesus was talking with Nicodemus and he said, The wind blows where it listeth. You hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. He's talking about visible signs, miracles that were coming from an invisible source. Nicodemus says, Jesus, I know God's with you because no man can do the miracles that you're doing unless God's with him. But Nicodemus was trying to figure out where Jesus fit in. Was he a prophet? Was he perhaps the Messiah? Was, you know, he, he couldn't, in other words, how was Jesus doing what he was doing? So Jesus, you know, has this conversation with Nicodemus, but eventually gets around to answering his question. Nicodemus was witnessing visible miracles but they were coming from an invisible source in the same way that if I look outside and see a tree blowing in my backyard, I don't think there's some giant at the base of that oak tree shaking it. I can't see the wind, but I know that something I can't see is creating a sign that I can see. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What is Jesus saying there? That this isn't just Jesus having the ability to produce visible signs from an invisible source. But he's saying everyone who's born of God has the ability to produce um, you know, miracles. Jesus said the works that he did, we do also, John 14. Uh, visible signs from an invisible source or bring forth invisible things. From I'm sorry, bring forth visible things, measurable, tangible, verifiable things. The manna, again, it had substance. You, I don't know what it felt like. I don't know if it was soft or I like crispy, crunchy things. It was a wafer. Um, we do know it was described as a wafer. I don't know if it was like a soft-baked cookie or, or one that was crunchy. If I know God, you know, the best cookies are the ones that are crunchy on the inside and ooey and gooey on the inside. So who knows? We'll get to taste some when we get to heaven one day. Praise God. 
But it had substance. It had flavor. It had taste to it. It was, had a sweet taste to it. Um, that kind of encourages me that there's going to be sweet things to eat in heaven that won't make us fat. But anyway, hallelujah. Let me get back here focused. Um, so it, it, it came from an, an invisible, hidden source, vis, you know, kingdom source, into uh, a, a, a physical world where people could pick, pick it up and eat it and, it, and it would satisfy their hunger. All right. So now, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33 Either Jesus speaking, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. So let's stop here for a minute. Jesus is addressing this to all of us, but there's also a crowd of, uh, in other words, he's teaching principles that, are, that apply to us to this day, but he's doing it within the framework of speaking a word of correction to uh, the religious leaders. And he says, make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree's known by its fruit. The religious leaders were, were, sent, were, were, were sending mixed signals, and it was confusing to people. Jesus said that they were like um, a tomb that had been painted a brilliant white, beautiful white on the outside. It looked so pure and clean uh, externally, but they were actually internally filled with death, filled with dead men's bones. So, death and life's in the power of the tongue, good and bad. Jesus says, let the tree be good and its fruit good, or the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Just for the record, Jesus came to not just change the fruit, but to change the tree. He didn't just come to, to help you have good fruit in your life. He came to make you a good tree so that you could consistently bring forth good fruit. <coughs> I was giving <coughs> thanks to the Lord um, before uh, class that the, uh, linger, the cough that tried to linger after uh, COVID for me uh, is gone. And that's not, that's not, it's nothing to do with COVID. That has to do with something that I just breathed in or, or what have you. Pardon me, especially if you're listening <coughs> and can't see it coming. Amen. One more sip of water. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> so Jesus came to make you a good tree. He came to put goodness in you and make you good, make you right, make you righteous so that you could bring forth good and, and you could do good works um, in your life as pleasing and, and, and fruit that would bring glory to his Father. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so verse 34, we'll move on, all right? Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Um, out of the abundance of the heart... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Just remember, whatever is in you in abundance is going to come out of you, especially when pressure is applied to you. Okay, let's keep going. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. Now, I want you to notice what, what Jesus 
um, is, is saying here. Um, even when he corrected the, uh, I'll put it back up, even when he corrected the religious leaders, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. <clears throat> Thank you, I didn't put it back on the screen, did I? All right. There's so much here, and, and I, I just want to just kind of pour it all out, you know, but that's, that's not, if I'm not careful, it'll just all sail right over your head. Jesus is not just talking about words here. How can you, being evil, speak good things? He didn't say, how can you, being evil, speak good words? He said, how can you speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, this is, this is not you know, a coincidence or Jesus just meaning to say one thing and saying another. That's ridiculous. That's not how he works. But just so you will know, he's going to double down on this in verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So, what he's saying here, if you drill down into these words and what they mean in the Greek, Jesus is saying that a good man out of the good treasure inside of him brings forth good things with the words that he speaks. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things with the words that he speaks. So words and things, words and things are related here, but not, um, they're not synonymous. He's not, he's not using things and words interchangeably as, as meaning the same thing. He, he's saying that things come out of us by words. And that if, there, if you're a good man, there's good in you, and the good that's in you can be brought forth out of you by the words that you speak. In the same way, if you're an evil man, there's evil treasure inside of you, and you bring forth evil things by the words that you speak. Now, things is an, an, an interesting word because things covers a lot of um, <laughs> things, covers a lot of stuff. <laughs> There's you a synonymous <laughs> word, okay. Covers a lot of stuff. Um, <clears throat> for instance, an evil philosophy can be in a man's heart. And he can bring forth that evil philosophy and, and, and plant it in other people uh, by words. So a lot of times we think only like that, but things doesn't just include philosophies or ideologies or, or, or uh, things like racism. You know, racism can, can be in a man's heart and that man can bring that racism forth from his heart and manifest racism in his life by the things that he says, okay? But then remember, 
what you say charts the course for what you do and, and how you live. But what if I told you <clears throat> that you can also bring forth treasure that's inside of you, out of you, with, um, with the words that, uh, that you speak, meaning tangible things. Tangible things. Come on now. <laughs> All right now. Uh, physical things. Um, okay, I'm going to hold off on saying some of that. Let's go back. You say, I'm not convinced, Pastor Mark. Just stay with me. Praise God. Stay with me. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Okay? So, let, let's, let's go back. Um, the only way you can be a good man, a right man, is if you allow God to make you a right man. See, sometimes we say, well, you know, so-and-so, but they're a good person. Okay, well, there was, a per there was uh, an individual in the Bible who called Jesus a good person, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? Well, this, in this case, I believe the guy was calling Jesus good because he was trying to butter him up, right? Uh, good master, good teacher. Jesus was like, why do you call me good? Obviously, Jesus wasn't just good. He was the best. But Jesus was, was pointing out, you know, if, you know, we want other people to think we're good. We want other people to say we're good. It's sad to me because there are people that God has made righteous, but they don't believe they're right and good uh, and, you know, because they, they're waiting for somebody else to tell them that they are instead of God, okay? Um, but a good man is not just talking about, uh, you know, some, somebody that, you know, tries to be nice or kind. Being nice and being kind is important. But a good man has to do with the heart, not the actions. So a good man here, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. Okay, now let's go. We're going to tie a couple of things together. Um, amen. <clears throat> Class probably a little shorter uh, than we normally uh, do, but that's okay. We'll... We'll jump back in on all of this next week. Let's go to Luke 17 and 20. Luke 17 and 20. And um, see if you remember this one from when we talked about um, the power of God and his kingdom. He says, now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, the kingdom of God is where? Where is it? It's within you. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Wow. Now, what do we say about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the rule of God. It's the reign of God. It's the realm of God. It's the resources of God. Um, if, if you remember, I told you that I live in government housing. Um, and, and it's, it's the government of my father's kingdom. And I'm not, that's, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a joke about that. And I'm not trying to be offensive by that. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's the, I'm a citizen of his kingdom. And 
as a citizen of his kingdom, there are things, including houses, houses, plural, um, that he says that he will provide for me. Um, here in the United States, you know, COVID fallout. Um, our our uh, Congress just passed a, another piece of legislation that's providing uh, financial assistance um, to people who have been adversely affected uh, by COVID and um, up to $1,400 a person, uh, you know, that we receive, right? Um, and so that's a, that's a benefit of, of being a citizen of this country. And there are other benefits, don't misunderstand me. That's just one that's obviously in the news a lot here of late. So as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, there are benefits, rights and privileges that belong to you. And so when he says that the kingdom is in you, it doesn't come by observation. People who were critical of Jesus, they kept waiting for there to be some coronation. They kept waiting for a ceremony or a ribbon cutting. Remember, I tell, I, we've covered this in other classes. But Jesus said that's not how this kingdom works. It doesn't, it doesn't come by observation. It, 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 it's, it's, a, it's an invisible kingdom, but he puts that kingdom inside of us. He gives us the kingdom uh, in, that he, in the kingdom that he has given to you, he has placed within you. All right? Now, Let's go to Matthew chapter 13, all right? In uh, Matthew chapter 13, we have uh, Jesus, <clears throat> I should know, it was, it's either five or seven parables that go one right after the other, right after the other. So it was a... Um, ambitious day of teaching uh, for Jesus in that he covered a lot of ground and he taught on a lot of things and after he gave all of those teachings those parables he looks at his disciples and he says um, do you understand these things and they said yes that they did now we know that they didn't. <laughs> um, but they thought they did. They weren't being dishonest. They, they thought they did, but they didn't. And Jesus gave us a sign to recognize and know when we fully understand the message of His Father's kingdom that He brought to us. And we find that in verse 52. Now, I really like this verse from the Message Translation, so I'm going to put it on the screen. Matthew 13 and 52, it says this. Then he said, I'm sorry, he said, Then you see how every student well trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. So, Verse 52 is in response to the question, do you understand these things? They said, yes. Jesus says, well, if you understand them, then as a well-trained student of God's kingdom, you become a traveling general store 
who can meet people's needs and can do it exactly when they need it. So think about, think about this. Think about what he's saying here. He's saying that, well, let's just use Jesus as the example. If people needed food, ever what you need. Amen. We had a, we had a gentleman here. He's a believer, a child of God. He owned businesses in this area for, for a long time and uh, had furniture stores and things of that nature. And um, one of his uh, taglines in his uh, television commercials was, he would say, ever what you need, ever what you need, uh, we got it. You know, if you, if you need sofa, we got it. If you need bedding, we got it. That sort of thing. Ever what you need. Well, um, Jesus is saying that a student well-trained in his Father's kingdom has ever what people need um, whenever they need it. Can put their hand on it. Um, we had, and it's it's uh, long since gone out of business. Uh, the Gober family. Uh, some of them still live in this Hueytown area where our church is located. Um, and good people. Um, well, there was a store just called Gobers, and. Um, Gobers had a little bit of everything. And um, this is a true story. I was uh, helping a friend work on an air compressor. And if you don't think about air compressors, I mean, they, you know, they're fairly, uh, uh, it, in other words, the parts and all that stuff, it's, they're not real common. And, uh, and we needed a part for this particular air compressor. And, uh, and everywhere we called, nobody had it. And, um, and he said, I bet Mr. Gober has it. Let's go to Gober's. And I laughed. I was like, man, I mean, I know he's got a lot of stuff in that store, but I, he's not going to have a part for this air compressor. He goes, well, you know, we've, We've tried everywhere else. I mean, if we're going to fix it today, you know, I mean, other companies could have ordered other places we call. We don't have it. We can order it for you and that kind of thing. He goes, well, let's just go see. You know, we get a, a Coke or a Mountain Dew or something, you know, from him. So, so we drove down to Cobras, brought the old part that was broken with us. Mr. Gober, you don't by chance have one of those, do you? Kind of laugh, like thinking he may laugh at us. He said, let me see that. And I, I'll never forget, he, he wore those glasses, you know, read glasses down in his nose like that. He, he took that part, and he was looking at it, and uh, he goes, you know, hold on just a second. He, he put his glasses back up, I guess. I, yeah. He didn't want us to go with him because there was so much stuff, especially in the back part. I'm telling you, that man came back with that compressor part. I was, I, I was just amazed. I mean, I was like, my buddy, of course, he's like, you know, told you, told you, told you. Of course, he wasn't 100% sure that he'd have it. But, uh, and, hey, come on now. We're, we, we're both believers, me and that brother, so the Lord helping us. I'm not leaving you out of this at all, Father. But every time I talk about put your hand on anything that you need 
older knew exactly when you needed it. This was an older air compressor, right? Broken. <laughs> but yet, Mr. Gober had the part. So that's that. I'm telling you that story, taking the time to hear that story, because I want you to think of it like that. As, um, you know, you have the kingdom in you. And anything that is needed for life and godliness on this planet is included in that kingdom that's in you. So how do we put our hand on it? How do we go get it and bring it and, 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 and sell it? Bad, I don't mean we sell it. I'm talking, you know, it's Mr. Gober, the store, owner of the store, he, he sold it to us. It, I mean, we would have paid him three times what he charged us for that part. I don't mean we're selling the things of God, but how, how do we, in, in, in our case, how do we put our hand on it so that we can give it, so that we can present it, freely you receive, freely give, um, and benefit from it, uh, you know, in, in the world around us. And so this is, you know, you bring forth the treasure inside of you, good things, good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, by the words that he speaks. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end right here with, um, with one last thought. And I want to ask you to pray about this um, between now and next week. But where we're going next is we're going to talk some about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And... One of the things that we see with a, with a baptism of the Holy Spirit associated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the speaking, uh, speaking in an unknown tongue or just speaking in tongues, which again is something that a lot of people make fun of. They don't understand it. They think it's silliness. They think it's ridiculous, all the other stuff, okay? Well, be careful what you're making fun of because this is this is something very precious and and it's it's one of the more significant gifts that Father God has ever given to and made available to his children here on the earth um, the ability to speak in an unknown tongue and in the book of Acts we see where the Holy Spirit was initially poured out on the 120 believers in the upper room. And the Bible says that the sign that rested on each of them was a flaming tongue of fire. I'm sorry. A, a cloven tongue of fire. That's a bit redundant, isn't it? A flaming tongue of fire. A cloven tongue of fire. Cloven means divided. I'll explain to you why it was divided, but just so you'll know, it was symbolic of something pure, something clean, something good. And, and then, of course, the fire, let's go back to the tongue is a fire. And remember he said in James that men's tongues have been set on fire with the fires of hell. Through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we see that God is now setting the tongues of his people on fire with the fires of heaven. So that now we can speak God's word in English, but we can also speak mysteries that God reveals to us in a, in a language that we 
do not have understanding of, but can use those words, the Bible says, to pray a perfect prayer in agreement with God's will, because the Holy Spirit is the one praying through you when you pray in an unknown tongue, and He always prays for the saints in agreement with the will of God. So there's a lot more to speaking and praying in an unknown tongue than just <clears throat> being able to say you've had that experience and tell your friends about it. It's a tool that has many uses and many applications, uh, one of which is our ability to pray in that unknown tongue in our lives, to build ourselves up in faith, to pray out mysteries. When we don't know how to pray as we should. We can pray uh, with the Holy Spirit alongside um, a beautiful, perfect prayer. <clears throat> so, we're going to take that and then go into 1 Corinthians and see how we're able to take spiritual things inside of us and speak spiritual words to literally produce those things on the outside of us. That's where we'll be next week. But let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for your love. Thank you for all that you've done for us, given to us, said about us. Help us, Father, be who you created us to be, do what you called us to do, live as you created us to live, and enjoy it. Enjoy it. Father, I often say, if people aren't enjoying their life with you, they're doing it wrong. Because in your presence alone is fullness of joy. So, Father, help us become more aware of what we say. Set a watch, a guard on our mouths. It's more than that. that we've got to watch our thinking and, and emotions, but it's, it's part of a system that we need to become keenly aware of and allow you to help us change. Lord, we can change what we say by, uh, and, and with your help. And if we change what we say, we can change, literally alter the course of our lives. Thank you for this indescribable gift. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good things coming. We will see you uh, on Sunday, if not before. You be blessed.